We are uh, obviously not having a uh, typical 4th of July message. We've been going through a series on the life that we live as Christians are to anticipate the Lord Jesus Christ's return. And what we are looking at today, uh, even though this is not a message about our nation, if there is a subject that... Uh, oh, I'll find a place. Thank you. That, uh, well, is... Uh, we looked earlier on in this series and this year, we see that in the last days, perilous times are going to be coming. We're in a time period in our nation that I don't know if any of us, as well as the politicians, know where we're going. I don't know if you have a whole lot of idea where things are going to land. And yet our faith is not, folks, in our nation. Our faith is in God. And no matter what nation Christians live in, their dependency is not upon that nation or that form of government. It is the fact that one day, the one who was over all nations will be returning to establish his kingdom here on this earth. Before that takes place, though, there is going to be a snatching away of the bride of Christ. That's every Christian. And we are going to be taken out of here. And we as Christians are to live in light of Christ's return. His return is to be on our minds constantly. There is no way I'm going to be able to exhaust this subject in the New Testament. It is everywhere. There is one place that describes that his return, that you and I as Christians are to actually love his return. We are to look forward to it. I chose this text today because in it, it describes how it is possible for you and I, even as Christians, to not be confident and are actually able to be ashamed at him at his, at his return. And so I want to take a little time to describe this text to get us up to, to date of, of what God is trying to tell us in 1 John. Now, a lot of times as we you know, show a person how to become a Christian, we will oftentimes send them to the Gospel of John or we will have them read 1 John because it's real good material. It's good things for them to start learning as a new Christian. And, and I'm reading through 1 John recently and I stopped and said, this is anything but basic. This is not fundamental stuff in 1 John. This is really deep, profound stuff in here. I mean, we're learning about Christ, our creator in chapter 1, and who he is and the assurances that we have as far as our fellowship with him. With the blood of Christ is mentioned, the confession of sin, and uh, in, in all in chapter number 1. And, and this list goes on as we go through. But, but there's a term, I think, of why we use 1 John. And this, it's this term of endearment where he uses the word, my little children, or my beloved, you know, the children of God. These type of terms that all of a sudden take us to a place where we're, we're in God's arms. And because of that, I think that's why we take them to this, to this particular book. And here at the last part of chapter 2, oftentimes we go right into chapter 3, but man, chapter 2 just leads right into it. And that first phrase, 
and now, in verse 28 of chapter 2, and now little children. You can almost see that he's talking to, to, to God's people and showing them, listen, we are little in God's sight. We're like immature little kids running around. I got 11 grandkids. I know what I'm talking about. And all of a sudden, these little kids are all over the place, and it's almost like, little children, let me, let me gather you together here. Let me tell you something, little ones. Abide in him. And that's the first thing he says, just abide. And that word is just stay alongside the Father. It's almost like there's a gathering that he's mentioning. Abide in him. Stay right on the course. Stay right here. Because this is what's going to happen. When he, that's Christ, shall appear. It says, we then, if we, the thought is, if we abide with God and we're right there with him, that we are then able to have confidence, and we'll describe that word in a minute, we'll be able to have confidence when he comes that, and, and then not be ashamed before him at his coming. So it's like little kids, sit here, and listen, stay together, stay, stay with the Father, and, and do the right thing, that when he comes, it's like, guess what? There's not going to be any shame. It's, like, it, it's, it's confidence as a result of that. Do you ever notice as parents and grandparents that when you're all as adults sitting around and talking around the table or whatever you're doing, and you can hear the kids in the other room, you're not really worried. It's when nothing <laughs> is heard. All of a sudden, it's like the kids. Do you hear them? No. And all of a sudden, you kind of sneak over and open the door just to see what they are doing. And sure enough, you know 10 out of 10 times when it's quiet, it's mischief, and they are doing something they're not supposed to be doing. They're hiding, you know, and, you, and then all of a sudden, the look. You don't have to even know what they were doing. All you got to do is look at their face. <gasps> you know, it's, it's like busted. And they know they're busted. And it's like, he did it. You know, you don't even say anything. They did it. He did it. It wasn't me. I told him not to do it. And all of a sudden, they're rambling on and on trying to get themselves out of it. You know, they can't talk themselves out of it. Believe it or not, that's what this word is talking about. The word confidence here in this, in this text has to do with freedom in speaking there's no reservation in what is being said. You can openly talk, frankly, because you have nothing to hide. You don't have to ramble on trying to get yourself out of it, but rather absolutely are confident, and there's no fear. You're actually cheerful and encouraged. You have a boldness and assurance. It's like if the kid isn't doing anything wrong while he's in the room and you open the door and they're just sitting there playing board games. Hi, Mommy. Hi, Daddy. How you doing? We're having fun here doing this. They're not hiding anything. And that's what Christ is trying to say. When he comes, we shouldn't be scurrying around all nervous. But we should be able to be confident before him that we can openly talk to the Lord, Lord, we, can't, we couldn't wait for you to come back. Boy, am I so glad that you are here. Instead of being ashamed. Instead of, as the other word uses, disfigured, dishonored, and your face is absolute shame. It's almost like you can't look the parent in the eye because you're ashamed. And we shouldn't have to look down 
we should look at the face of the Savior as he returns. If it's possible for us then to be ashamed at his coming, I think that God's trying to tell us that at his return, there will be then a remembrance of our life. It's as though our life flashes before us. This week, um, I've been, I decided to be adventurous and pressure wash my house. Great fun. It's like constant blowing rain on you all the time if you've ever done pressure washing before. So sure enough, um, our, our house is two-story, so I had to do everything. So, you know, you get out on the roof, and there's this little ledge. It's probably about, you know, uh, three foot at best, and it's kind of angled, and my wife is down there just watching me. Not that she could catch me or help me, but she's watching me just to you know, make sure I'm okay. So I'm up there, and there's this one ledge right here, and then it goes on to another roof, and the pressure washer's going. She's down there, and my hearing is really, really going. And so I'm up there just pressure washing, kind of going backwards, going backwards, and my wife's down there, Carl, you're going to fall to me! And I can't hear her, and she's watching me going closer and closer to that edge, knowing what is about to take place, and sure enough, I fall over the edge, and I fell, praise the Lord, forward. But there's still for that brief moment, your life flashes before you. Because you're waiting to stumble and start going down and hit the railing or the rocks down below you. You know, she had one of these little, you know, bird baths down there. Could have hit that. You know, all these things I could have fallen on. And then and, 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 and you'd have to be putting up with Nathan preaching today. Like, I've been in the hospital. But my life flashed before me. And I'm thinking at that moment, all is well? It's okay? And I wasn't worried? It's like, okay, this could be it. But for a moment, you have to stop and say, until you're there, and all of a sudden, you, 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 it's those moments where you go, <gasps> and you can't breathe, and all of a sudden, what's really, really important goes before your brain. That's rapture. It's like we can stop, and at that moment, you say, what was my life really all about? What, what did I mean while I was here on this earth? What am I going to be remembered for? What does the Lord know that I've been up to? What does my daddy know, my father know, what I've been up to? Because there are a lot, of, a lot of funeral services, there's a whole lot of things said about the people. And you would have thought they had been the greatest saint here on this earth. You know what I mean? There's a lot of words said by people. But God really knows the heart. And there's nothing hidden. It's like we're busted. You know what I mean? You know what I mean by busted? So I'm at the hospital at about 5.30 in the morning, one of those real early surgeries. And so I got done, and I'm down there by, by about 6 o'clock. And this is a couple years ago. And uh, so I thought, man, I'm getting, yeah, I could use a coffee. So I stopped, 7-Eleven stopped, got a coffee, you know, on the way home. And uh, so I'm pouring my coffee. And I'm no more done pouring, and I look up. And guess who's standing there? Stan Stankovich. Mr. Diabetes. Standing there with two huge donuts in his hand. You know what I mean? And I looked at him and I said, Stan, you are busted. He never expected the preacher to be there at 6 a.m. in the morning waiting for him to get his sugar fixed for the day, Mr. Diabetic. 
He's not allowed. I said, you are not allowed to have that. What are you doing? He goes, it's okay. My sh- if my sugar's below 200, I don't feel good. I'm like, Stan, this isn't good, brother. Busted. It's like you just don't know that it's coming, but we know it is. And that's the Lord's return. We don't want to be standing there, if you will, that way. We want to be prepared. We want to have confidence before him. We don't want to be going, I, I, I wish, I, I, let me change, let me. No, we don't want that. We want to have a, we want to have a confidence, not shame. So the result of that in verse number 29 is this principle that the righteous one produces righteous people. The righteous one, that's Christ, produces righteous people. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone that doeth righteousness is born of God. It's the evidence of Christianity is a changed life. Because Christ, who is our righteousness, lives inside of us. We are able to do righteous as a result of that. Not that the righteousness that we do makes us righteous before God, but rather the righteous one creates it inside of us the moment we believe. In our Sunday school class, we were talking about how Peter talks of a divine nature that has been given to you and I to enable us to escape the wrong desires that are in this world. And there is a whole lot of temptation out there, true? And quite a few kids, teens here. And listen, there's all kinds of things that are going to be thrown at you to do that is wrong. And you're going to be you know, provoked to be thinking if you don't do it, then you're not in and you're not this or that. And you, you just stop and say, you know what? I'm not here to please you. I'm here to please God. I'm here to honor my parents. I don't want to cause shame. I want to do the right thing. And that comes as a result of Christ inside of you. There's a lot of things. You've got a drug world that's absolutely horrible all around us. I mean, the bus every week that's going on with the meth and everything that's going on. Kids, this stuff's going to kill you, and they, the drug dealers, could care less. Don't let them kill you. Don't let them take your money. Don't make them rich so that they can go buy islands. It's that big. Don't let them, the drug dealers, get so rich that they can buy weapons to destroy the righteous. That's what it's going towards. Let's get out of this, Elkhart. It is horrible. Because if nobody's buying it, it's going to go away. Right? So why are those who claim Christ getting into this garbage? Let's get out of it. That's what he says. If you know that he is righteous, and we focus on the righteousness of God, you know that everyone that doeth righteousness, that acts like God, is born again of God. And is going to pull out and start to change. And we want you to live your fullest life here. We want you to live for the Lord. Because our Lord is righteous. He wants to allow you and enable you to be righteous. So he says in verse 3, Behold, behold what manner of love the Father. It's interesting, he doesn't talk about the love of Christ here. Although we know of the love of Christ. But here, Romans 5, John 3, 16, all zero in on the love of the Father for us. This this position that we have, this 
love of the Father that He has is an undeserved position that we have. It is an overwhelming relationship that we now have with the Father. In this verse, what God is saying to you and I is that God is honoring you and I by calling us His children. We don't deserve it. It is an overwhelming, behold, look at the fashion, look at what has been designed by God the Father that He would bestow upon us this position and it is a proof of the love of a father. You know, we've gotten through Mother's Day, Father's Day recently. And when we look at where real genuine love comes from, uh, yeah, it comes from church family and so forth, but I tell you what, there is something about family. Uh, when my kids have a need, they know they can talk to dad. That's all there is to it. And we have a relationship that is very open, and if there is anything I can do for my kids, I will do my very best to accomplish that. And it's not because I have to, it's because I love to. I want to. And that's what our Father in heaven is saying. He has created something for you and I that is so powerful that we can now come boldly to the throne of grace. We can come with boldness to the Father and talk to Him at any time. And that is a love. God loved the world so much that He gave His only begotten Son. It is the love of the Father. But God, that is the Father, commended His love towards us, even in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You see, it's the love of the Father, but it is Christ who is the bridge that brings our relationship to the Father. You see, without Christ, there is no bridge to the Father. There's no way. It's broken. Sin has broken that relationship. So God loves you, so He takes Christ and brings him to this earth to die on a cross, rises from the dead, so he could bridge what sin had broken and creates a relationship now with him. And that's God's love. You say, didn't God love his own son? Yes, he did. But his love for the world that was lost was proved. And that's why he gave his son to prove his love to a lost world that is unthankful, that doesn't even want to recognize there is a God anymore, and yet God loves every one of them that Christ died for them. His blood was spilt for them. Communion today. It's a remembrance of what Christ has ultimately done for you and I, and we must remember. We must not forget. That's the love of the Father. It's undeserved. It's overwhelming when we stop and really think of it. And so now we're placed into that family. And he says that we should be called the sons of God. There was a guy, his wife had, had uh, she was overseas and got this really horrible disease. And, and as she got this disease, sure enough, immediately they had, when they got back in the States, they put her in a hospital, and they're trying to diagnose and, and so forth, and as, as typical, uh, you know, he had to go down to the room to talk about expenditures. And while he is there talking to this woman about the expenditures, while his wife's going through all this process of, of diagnostic and, and all the blood tests and everything, they said, sir, this is going to cost about $10,000. Um, do you have that kind of money? 
And he said, no, ma'am, I don't, but my father does. And, uh, he, and so sure enough, he walked out of the room. And this is all documented. This is a true story. I'm not making this up. So he's going down the hall. And sure enough, the church found out what was going on. And the pastor walks in the door and it says, we know this is going to be pricey. So we took an offering up to give you. And he handed him a check for guess how much? The exact amount that was needed to give. So he turns around. Didn't even leave the hospital yet. So he turns around and walks back in to the room and hands her the money. And she goes, boy, that was quick. <laughs> he had a chance to witness to her about the Heavenly Father. Our Father knows what we have need of before we even ask. And we realize that's a huge answer to prayer. And not all of us experience those type of things. But there are times, there are seasons that we do see huge, huge answers to prayer. It's because our Father loves us. And He wants what's best for us. And that we are the sons of God. And it is a privilege that we can call Him our Father. Therefore, as a result of this, the world, as we know it out there, they don't, they don't get us as Christians. They look at us as so foreign. And he tells us that we are now in the mind of the world. We are separated from the lost. If, if we begin to talk to lost people about what we believe and what we do as Christians, they look at us as though we are crazy. They really do. My wife and I, we get off times on Sunday mornings, uh, we kind of go out into our car and, uh, and we pray as, as we're leaving and, and, and praying for the service, praying for everything. As we were praying together, you know, I'm looking up and I'm thinking, I wonder if anybody was watching us. Because, like, if they were to look at Lori and I, kind of like this, humped over in the car, they think either, A, they had heart attacks, they both died together. What are they doing? Why are they not moving? They're just there. And when you think of some of the things that we do, the world looks and says, you guys are nuts. Why are you, pray Why are you doing this? Why? Why? It doesn't make sense to them. And when they look at what we believe and why we believe it, they say, well, that makes no sense. But they don't have the Lord. They don't have the Spirit of God inside of them to understand. They don't care about the Word. That's not the priority in their lives. So there is this natural divide. That's why it says the world doesn't know us. They don't understand us because they didn't know and understand Christ. When He was here, He went through the same thing that we as Christians go through. That's why at work, you know, you have a verse over here or something Christian on your desk, you know. People are like, why do you have that? Well, there's a reason. I'm a Christian. And I have this verse on here because this is my life verse. Or this is a verse that helps me sometimes through the day. It gives me a thought. gives me thinking about the Lord. You know, we, you know, you could put on there, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. You know, you can do something really good as a witness to say, this is the Lord in my life. And the world looks at that and says, listen, you make everything you are. You, you achieve it. Now listen, folks. God gives us wisdom, He gives us talent, He gives us breath for life. Everything that we have as a people, as a nation, comes from our God. It moves us to be a thankful children to our Father for provi providing everything that we need to live in this life. So we need to be a thankful people. And we need to thank the Lord what He's done. And even though the world doesn't get us yet, we're light and darkness.
So he says, verse 2, Beloved, and I love the tense of this, now are you the sons of God. It is not, we shall become the sons of God. He didn't say that. He says, right now, we are the sons of God. It's a position. The moment you receive Christ as your Savior, you became a child of God, according to John in chapter number 3, through the new birth process. Those who are born again, and by the way, that is a good biblical term, don't be afraid to use it. Because Hollywood, I've seen a lot of shows and things like that where they mock and make fun of born again. Oh yeah, you're one of those born again. You got Jesus. You know, you found Jesus, you know. It's like, yes, I did. And they look at born again and they say, I don't get it. They don't even understand what the term means. It's because they have not been born again. It's a good biblical term. And that new birth that Jesus talks about, that we are physically born, and then we are born again. It's a new birth that God places you and I into the very family of God the moment we believe in Jesus Christ as our Savior. Now listen, you know that. Now hang in there, people. I know you're starting to get a little, it's getting a little warm maybe. Hang in there. This, this is like really, really important. Young people, listen to me. The text there, when he says, marvel not that I say unto you, you must be born again. If, if God is going to say to you, now listen, you've got to be born again. If you're not born again, you're not going to get into heaven. And if he doesn't tell you how to get born again, how are you going to get born again? Do you think Jesus is saying, you've got to get born again, and then walks away and says, don't forget, you better be born again. Marvel not that I said, you've got to be born again. You better get born again, and walks away. All of a sudden, you're going to be saying, how? I want it. You know, I want to be born again. Well, guess what Jesus says? I'm going to tell you how to do it. Because he's not done right there. He starts describing to Nicodemus in that text. He says, listen, I'm going to give you an Old Testament illustration. As Moses lifted up in a serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. You say, what does that mean? Well, in the Old Testament, there was a time in the book of Numbers that Israel was in all kinds of sin, rebelling against Moses, and they just couldn't stand Moses, they couldn't stand the leadership, the message, we went away from this. So God says, okay, sure enough, I'm going to send these fiery little serpents that are going to disease you, and some of you are going to start dying. But I'm going to be putting a brazen serpent on a pole, and it's going to be lifted up. And anyone that looks at that serpent on the pole will live. So you have to, by faith, say, okay, I don't understand it. I don't get this. Why this thing on the pole? And I'm going to look at it. But if I look at this brazen serpent, I will be healed? Okay, I'll do that. And if they looked, as the old songwriter put, look and live, my friend, look and live. It's exactly what Jesus was trying to say. If, listen, I'm going to be hanging on a cross one day. I'm going to be high and lifted up. And if you look to me for salvation, you will be healed. As Moses lifted up the serpent, by the way, those who are in the medical field, the symbol of medicine to this day is that biblical character of the serpent on the pole. And so interesting, our heritage, is it not? And so sure enough, Jesus is saying, I'm going to be high and lifted up, I'm going to be dying on a cross, and if you understand and believe on me and look to me by faith, you will then live as a result of that. That's how, folks, we're born again. In that same text, as he says, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. That whosoever believes in him, the result is they will not die. They will be given eternal life. So God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. 
that whosoever believed in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world, the, the world could be saved by him. And Over and over again, he is describing, if you have the Son, you have life. But if you don't have the Son, you don't have life. You're born again by receiving Jesus Christ as your Savior. Very simply done. You say, how do you do it? Call on him. Say, Lord, I'm a sinner. Can't save myself. You died on the cross for my sin. I believe that. I want you into my heart. And he will save you just the way you are. So that's how we become the sons of God. Now, here's the thing. Now he goes from the present tense to the future. Beloved, now are you the sons of God. But it does not yet appear what we shall be. So now he's going to deal with the future. But we know that when he shall appear, that's the rapture, then at that po point we will be like him, for we shall see him as he is. So now we're thinking Christ is returning, and when he comes there will be a transformation that I will become like the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't become God, I don't become Jesus, but I come like him in that, we are able to be transformed and change in our body so that we can be translated and to go up into heaven to be with him because we can't get there the way we are. I'd like to. You know what I mean? I, come on. I'm ready to go, but I can't get there from here. But when he returns, my body will be changed like his, that just like in Acts 1 where he lift, was lifted up taken into heaven, we also will be given that same privilege as the sons of God when he returns. That's our hope. That's the future. So we have it secure now. We're the sons, but it does not yet appear what we're going to be like. But when he comes, change. So here's what the, the fact is. So verse 3, everyone as Christians that has this hope within him, hope is the future. That's the point. What we do is we purify ourselves even as he, Christ, is pure. Just like the righteous one makes us righteous, he makes us pure, we want to live for the Lord. Now, Christians, listen, we need to be like Christ. Okay? We need to have the fruit of the Spirit. We need to be a good witness. This church needs to be a light. We're not going to be here long. We have to die to self. So we can live the resurrected life. It's time for us to wake up. Amen. Bottom line. You say, wake up? Mm-hmm. Isn't there a verse that talks about that? Mm-hmm. I'm glad you asked. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Now, you know what 1 Corinthians 15 is all about, it, don't you? It's a resurrection. It's all about the rapture. And he says to the church there, wake unto righteousness. For many have not the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. He says, listen, we need to wake up to what is right or righteous. Because as it was going with the church at Corinth, if they were to observe their lives, they'd say, so what's different? Yeah. And it's because they weren't living a righteous life. And he says, shame on you. I think we heard that word shame earlier, didn't we? Shame at his coming. And so we live for the Lord, being a good witness, then people are going to know about the Lord, see Him in us, and all of a sudden, win-win. We get rewards in heaven. We get to, to, to share our, our faith with people and be real 
And, and, it, and it's a win-win situation. The, the, the lose-lose situation is when we decide to live for ourselves, you know, and, and do the things that everybody else is doing, and then we're no different, and they're looking at you and say, that's Christianity, what's the difference? And they don't want it. People are hurting out there. They want answers. They want something that's real, tangible. They can see it and say, that is what I want. Two guys led the Lord last uh, couple of weeks. And uh, uh, actually, let me reverse, a few months. One of them in particular came up and said, I've always been searching and I have no idea what I was searching for. But after I got saved, I realized that's what I was missing all along. And he had been around a whole bunch of Christians that were praying for him and witnessing to him. And he finally got saved. And guess what happened? It was, a, it was the joy that he was looking for in life. Another guy was brought through another church and was not getting answers to his issues in, in life. And sure enough, somebody sat down, shared with him the gospel, talked about heaven and so forth. And sure enough, that person got saved. And they said, guess what? Now I have found the void that has been in my life, I have now have it filled up, and now I don't have to search anymore. By the way, that person died just a week, uh, days later and is experiencing heaven because they found Christ and they believed him. Do you have a void in your life? There's something just you don't know what it is. It's missing. Let me tell you who it is. It's Christ. It's a person. It's a relationship with Christ. The one you can talk to and you can pray to when you're going through problems because we as Christians have them. But we have him as a source to help us through it. And that's what happens is, is when we get this vision of Christ and his return, it helps us to live on an everyday basis for him as, as a result of that. Uh, Christianity is a very powerful thing. And... Uh, let me just read a couple of things. Here's a couple of verses about the effect that the rapture should have on us. In this verse, these verses we saw that we are to be careful to be living purely. We are to be considerate in Philippians chapter 4. We are to be comforted in 1 Thessalonians 4. We are to be cheered in Philippians chapter number 3. And the result should we, be, we should be concerned for the lost. But here, let me read this and we'll close. Um, there is a man in yonder glory I have loved for many years. He has cleared my guilty conscience and has banished all my fears. He is coming in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. And no time will be allotted for you to utter one goodbye. No time to kiss the husband or embrace the loving wife. If they are but united in the bonds of holy life. Are you ready, Christian? Ready for shout and trump and voice? Will his coming make you tremble or cause you to rejoice? Are you walking, talking with him daily, taking him, your care? Do you live so close to heaven that a breath would waft you there? Pretty good, isn't it? That summarizes what we're talking about. Father, bless this time in your word. Use it for your glory. And even as we prepare our hearts at this time for the communion that follows, may you be honored and glorified in all that's said and done. We thank you again for this invitation. It is yours. In Jesus' name, amen.